Man, seeing the life change never gets old, like Ben said. And this weekend is baptism weekend for us, and we have a mess of people getting baptized uh, tomorrow and tonight. And uh, at our night of worship that was on Wednesday night, uh, you know, going into this Lent season, it's all about repentance. It's all about turning our life and our direction to Jesus. And we just said, you know what, uh, why don't we offer an opportunity for people to get baptized at night of worship? You know, probably everybody's already saved and everybody's been baptized at night of worship. And 12 people came forward on Wednesday night and gave their life to the Lord. And we got to baptize them. And it was such, it was just an incredible moment for us as a church to celebrate some phenomenal stories. And uh, that's what this whole season is, as we start looking towards Easter. Like what we sang about, death was arrested. And that our lives get to be changed because of Jesus. And that's what this whole series of Rooted has been about, is that God is changing us. That he wants to root our lives in him. And when we place our faith in him, everything changes. And he wants to build us up in the ways of Jesus. And uh, it, it was pretty phenomenal. On Night of Worship, we had this card. And we have some of these out at the Resource Center if you want to pick this up for this whole kind of Lent season leading up to Easter. Uh, but a lot of times people will fast during the season. Sometimes people will go without coffee. Sometimes people will go... Uh, uh, you know, without Candy Crush, you know, some real difficult things that, you know, people have going on in their life. Uh, but during the season, people walk away from some things to reflect more on Christ and to remember from dust we came and to dust we'll return. And that Jesus is Lord over all. We're not the Lord of our lives. And we introduced this card, and, and I want to invite you to be praying over this. And uh, this uh, kind of fasting card you can pick up at the Resource Center, but there's three things we want you to be praying leading up to Easter. It's simply this. We want you to be praying and think about what is something that you need to fast from during the next kind of 40 days? Well, what's something that you need to kind of back up from? And not just back up from, but to begin to fill your life with Scripture. Maybe it's one less show on Netflix you know, maybe it's just a little bit of less over here, but you're going, I, I'm not just going to go with that. I'm going to begin to put God's word in my life. And, and so we want to say, what's something that God is calling you to fast from? But not just that, what is God calling you to fast for? See, this whole season of Lent is not just about us. It's about God saying, I want to make you into something new. And we need to be people who are praying for God to break through in the lives and places around us. That we would say, God, we are praying for this to happen and in particular, the third and last thing is this, we want to be fasting for someone. We want to be saying, God, this isn't just about you and me. God, you have called me to be the church, to be for other people. Matter of fact, I wrote somebody's name down going on. They're going through a pretty hard time in their life right now. On Wednesday night, he's been a close friend of mine, lives out of state, been friends with him for a long time. Going through some really hard times in his life. Really hard. And on Thursday night... God allowed a conversation for us to talk. And I got to tell him this. Hey, man, I just want to let you know, last night I started praying for you. Change the conversation. Change the conversation. And we want to invite you because God is saying, I want to change the conversation of a lot of people's lives around this place and in this world. God is longing to redeem all things. It was funny, though, I talked to one of my buddies, he, uh, his family, they came to Night of Worship and they were driving home from Night of Worship. And he's got a couple young kids and he was talking to them and they said, hey, what do you guys think you're going to fast from this season? And he listed, he's, he's like, hey, this is what I think God's calling me to fast from. And uh, his youngest daughter, he called on her, he goes, what do you think, what do you think you're going to fast from? And she had never heard of this before. He goes, you know, what are you going to go without for 40 days? Like Jesus in the desert, what are you going to go without? Uh... Uh, you know, she got real nervous. She goes, I'm going to fast from school for 40 days, Dad. And uh, 
he was like, well, and he goes, and uh, he said his wife chimed in. He goes, well, if that's the game, I'm fasting from working out for 40 days. And uh, he's like, hey, let's bring it back together, guys. This isn't, that is not God's intention for that. Uh, But this whole thing of fasting is to bring us into the heart of God. And as we wrap up this series of Rooted, I just want to end up wrapping us into the heart of God. And what we're closing with is this. If you've had your booklet, if you've been journeying with this, you'll, you'll find out we're going to end today and this week in your group talking about the church. Because the beautiful thing about what God does is this. He says, not only do I want to save you, not only do I want to change your life, I want to give you a new community to follow with. Anybody find at some point in your life, you might think you can do it by yourself until you hit the wall. I don't know what your wall is, but we all hit it, don't we? And a lot of times it's this, we've gone way too hard in life and we've gone way too far in life. And then when we hit the wall, it's not just hitting the wall. For some of us, we fall off a cliff. And God is saying, this is why I've given the church to you because I don't want your life to go off a cliff. I want you to have a community to help one another, to walk with one another. Uh, The only problem is this. If you ask anybody on the street, even if in this room, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I don't know your story, but I'm glad you're here. But I know this, every single person in this room, you probably have a story about the church in a negative way. Matter of fact, when you begin to ask people out in the community, if you just simply said this, hey, what's your thought about the, you know, about the church? You know, look out. You might get some colorful language, you know, that will, that will be coming your way. We hear stuff like this. I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe that. Well, why not? And then they begin to tell you these different stories. They begin to let you know of these different things. And this isn't just happening in the culture. Actually, what's kind of happening now in the church and followers of Jesus, people are having a big debate right now of like, do you even have to go to church? Like, can't I just watch the live stream, be a good person, and I go to heaven? Some of you are like, how are you reading my mind right now, man? You know, you know, this is going on in the church. Do I really have to go to church to be the church? What if I miss a Sunday or a Saturday? Or where am I at with this? Well, you know, what is it that God really re- requires of me? Uh, one of my favorite bloggers, his name's Kerry Newhoff. He's a pastor in Toronto. And I love it because, you know, they're pretty post-Christian uh, in Canada and Toronto and all this stuff. And so to be the church there, you've got to be pretty committed to Jesus because you're going to take shots for being committed to him. And I love a blog post that he wrote. He's, this is what he titled it, A Response to Christians who are done with the church. Not to the culture, but to Christians. Because some Christians are beginning to believe actually just to go to church is just very consumeristic. You're just going to go to church and drink coffee and this is going to be about you and it's consumeristic. I don't need to go to church. I can just listen to a podcast while I'm on the treadmill and that, you know, and, and that'll be it for me. That's all I need. Except oh, I love the boldness in Kerry Newhoff's blog. He said this, He said, actually, the most consumeristic thing you can do is walk away from the church. Because now your faith and your life is only about you and your schedule and your preference. I'll listen to this church's worship over here. Then I'll stop listening on the podcast. And then I'll listen to this pastor here. And I will design my perfect service for me. Thank the Lord for technology, right? And the church begins to reflect that. And what I want to do for us today as we begin to wrap up is I want us to really kind of, you know, I I only have a few minutes with you and pray for me because we're going to cover 1,700 years of history very quickly here, all right? Uh, So I really need the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do is this. I want us to kind of get into a little bit of the nuance of the church and what Jesus really meant when he said, I will build my church. 
Because Jesus talked about the church, Jesus died for the church, and Jesus is saying the way that the world is going to experience me is through the church. The church is a big deal, whether it's a big deal to you or not, it is a big deal to Jesus. The only problem is this, we say something like this, do we have to go to church? And then we go, well, I read scripture and it says we are to be the church, and which one is it? Do we go to church or are we to be the church? You know what Jesus' answer to you is? Yes. See, it's not an either or. It's not just do you go to church, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And it's not just do you love people and do good things, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says, yes. It's an and both. That's what it looks like to be the church. Matter of fact, I just want to give you Jesus' language right here. You know, we celebrated Ben being baptized, and I love, this is why we're the church. Sam Capehart, who did his baptism, she is his small group leader in our kids' side ministry. We're going, this is why the church matters, because there comes a point in time, and I know it's coming quick in my life, that my kids are not going to want to listen to me. They'll say, pay me gas money, but don't talk to me, Dad. Do my laundry, feed me, but don't talk to me, right? This is why the church matters, because God wants to use your voice and your life to shape other people's lives here in the church. This is the beauty of the church, that we get to be this family together. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. He sets the tone for us, and listen to what he says here in verse 15. He, he turns to Peter, and he says this. He says, what about you? What about you, Peter? He asked, who do you say that I am? Might be a good question for you to think about. Who do you say that Jesus is? We all have to answer that. Peter, who do you say that I am? And listen to what he says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus, before he went back to heaven, he was talking about the church. He had the church in mind. He's going, I will build my church. One, the church is Jesus, and he's going to build it. And he goes on to say this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Meaning this, hell's not going to stop the church. This is one good news, but I was reading one commentary, and I thought this was fantastic. He translated this way. He said, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it means this, death will not stop the church. Reflect on how all of the disciples' life all, all of their lives ended. If you look at history, almost all of them were martyred for being a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, you can kill all my disciples, but you can't kill the church. See, this is what Jesus is committed to. This is why after thousands of years, you can't stop the church. This is what the Romans, this is how the Romans kept the peace in the world. They said this, if you'd cause disturbance, we'll kill you. They didn't know what to do with the church because they were killing Christians and the church kept growing. How do you stop that? You can't, Jesus said. This is the beauty. This is the call of the church. Not only that, this is what I love it. Because, you know, sometimes I look around and there's funny church names. I don't know if anybody's uh, seen this before. I grew up at a church uh, and, I, and, you know, I was five years old. This is the church that my dad was one of the pastors at. And this was the, this was the name of our church, Second Church of Christ. And I went, who's the first Right, like as a five-year-old. And all I could piece together, because my dad would play church league softball, I went, I guess we lost to another church in town. Right, you know, and 
they're first church of Christ. We're, we're second church of Christ, I guess. I don't know. You know, I'm like, how do we get church names? Listen, the church had a name in Acts chapter 9. I found this fascinating. We talked about Saul last week and how God used this person who was murdering the church, who was trying to kill the church. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to use you. You can try to kill them all you want. You're not going to stop the church. Paul, I want you to be a part of the church. And he says he was going after him. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 2. It says, so that if he found any there, this is where Saul was going to kill the church, who belonged, and this was the name of the church. I found this fascinating. The Way. Do you know that the early church had a name? It was The Way. You know where that came from? Jesus. Because what did he say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I don't know if it's because the early church didn't have a creative planning team. And they went, no, we're just going to take the way. But this is telling us something about the church. Maybe something that we need to recapture about the DNA of who and what the church is supposed to be. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them to prison, prison as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way were people. This was the way that the church was getting out. They knew, hey, we're just a part of the way. We're following Jesus. I love Bob Goff. If you remember him, we brought him here in August in his book, Everybody Always. He says this phrase about the church. He says, when will the church realize that we are rivers, not reservoirs? God is wanting to move through us into this world. We are to be rivers of God's love. We aren't just supposed to huddle up and be back and go, the world's bad, we're good, and hopefully we'll be good enough, and then the Lord will come and that's it. He goes, no, 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 we are to be rivers. Matter of fact, Paul, who was trying to kill the church, got converted, and this is what he writes about the church. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. He said, his intent, talking about God, was that now through the church. I will build my church and death won't stop it. The way, and now Paul says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, meaning this, through the church, God wants to reveal everything to everybody according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the hope of the world. And did you know he looks at you and he says, I want you to be my hope dealer to the world. You have a mission. You have a calling. See, this is why it's so important for us because Jesus changes not just our life, he changes our direction. We are the way. Not because we are wise, but because we have the wisdom of our Savior and Creator leading the way. So here's where I want to go for us in our short, term, that short time that we have together. I want to talk about three big misconceptions of the church. I, I, and this is going to take a little bit. And, you know, this is where I want you to be in your rooted groups. This is why we need our booklets because I want to go deeper. But there's three things I found that really kind of keep our mind away from seeing that Jesus wants to reveal himself to the world through us. Because all the time, this is why we're always thinking, God can't use me. Oh, he can use the pastors, but he can't use me. We're going to address that here. And here's the first misconception. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is a massive misconception. And this is what gets the church stuck in a ditch. And it's simply this, that we begin to think it's all about the building, not the body. This is why we think I got to go to church. And to be the church means you're only at the church. We got to ask this question, where does that mentality come from? 
This is where our 1,700 years of history is going to come in. You know when it started? You know when everybody started thinking that church was a location instead of being the body of Christ? In 313 A.D., when Constantine became a Christian and he became, he was the ruler of Rome and for 300 years the whole Roman Empire killed Christians. If you were a Christian, you know why they killed you? Because you wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Everybody that has been baptized has been talked about, you know, 45 people being baptized in the last year. If Rome was over now, they would want to kill all 45 of those people. Think about how devastating that is. Because you would not say Caesar is Lord, and you are saying Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is my Savior. So here's the deal. Constantine's in power. He becomes a Christian, and this is what he does. He introduces Christian into the empire. He actually allows different religions to come in, but he allows churches to happen. Now, here's the deal. This is what was happening. The church couldn't really meet publicly. Matter of fact, they couldn't, not only could they not meet publicly, they couldn't really own property. They couldn't see, you know, they couldn't run for politics. They couldn't have any seats of power. If you were a Christian, you were kind of ostracized uh, from all of, all of the community. And, and this is what ended up happening. This is what they would do as a church. They would meet together. They would pray together. They would remember Jesus' words. They'd pray for one another. And then they would go and live the way of Jesus in the world. And what they would do is they would huddle up sometimes around where a martyr had been killed for their faith. And they would huddle up around that place. And they, they would go, remember when so-and-so, they told them, we're going to kill you unless you denounce Jesus and say that Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't do it. And so they killed him. They would meet at that place and they go, hey, let's keep living as faithful followers of Jesus. And they would encourage one another. Well, this is what would happen. This is what Constantine did. At all those different sites where martyrs were at. He built, guess what? A church. And so the idea became introduced that all you do as a Christian is go where? To church. And so 1,700 years ago, this idea that to be a Christian meant you went to church, but you didn't follow the way. See, this is the tension that we carry with us today. This is the tension of the church because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, hell and death itself, will not stop it. It will not stop it. But here's the problem. We got lost in translation. That word that Jesus says there is ecclesia. I think I've got a side for this. This word ecclesia, when he says, I will build my church, that word church means this, a called out people, an assembly of people. This is good that we are gathered here today, that we're together. Man, we're opening God's word. We want to go after the way of Jesus. And this is the word that Jesus used, that I will build my ecclesia. The church means called out. This is what he called Israel, that they were to be an assembly. They were to be a people of God. They were to live his way. They were to walk in his way. Except here was the problem. When the Romans came in power, when Constantine came in power, they translated that word differently. And instead of saying the word ecclesia, they used a word called basilica, which means a public building. And so ecclesia went out the door and basilica became the name in Roman Empire. Well, then in the German culture, they didn't use the word ecclesia either. They used a word called kirche, which just means simply this, location. And what got lost in translation for hundreds of years is this, that the church was only a location, not a people of God that lived the ways of Jesus in and among the world. See, this is why for a lot of us, and even as me as a pastor, I've got a, 
I've got to apologize for really how the church has acted in the past. I wasn't around in 1400s and 1300s and all that other stuff, but I need to apologize because here's what began to happen. And you can read history. Here's what happened. The church would get control. Whoever had control of the building controlled everything else. Matter of fact, in the churches at that time, they would chain the Bible to the pulpit. And you know why they would do that? Because nobody else could read. And the priest would know this. If I control the scriptures, I get to tell people what to do. So if I said, give me your money because God said so, what do you have to do? you got to give me your money. See, this is where the church lost its way. Matter of fact, in 1522, there's a man named William Tyndale who said, this ain't right. This ain't the way of Jesus. And you know what he did? He translated the Bible in English. And you know what happened to him? He got killed. And you know why and who killed him? Those Romans. Nope. Can you guess who? The church. The church tied William Tyndale. He was on the run for 10 years because he was translating the Bible into English, giving the scriptures to everybody, living the ways of Jesus. And it was the church who ended up killing William. And you know how they killed him? They tied his body to a pole, lit him on fire. Actually, first, before they lit him on fire, they, put, they hung a rope around his neck, killed him, then lit his body on fire, then spread his ashes everywhere. Who wants to be a member of that church? Right? I don't see anybody raising their hand. We're like, wait a second. And this is the problem. We have lost our way. Lost our way. Paul was pointing to this. He was saying it's not about a building. It's about being a body. It's about being the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. He is leading us. He is the way we are to be following him. Matter of fact, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the body. Listen what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. He said, the body is a unit. He said, that's you and me. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is. With Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Here's the beauty of the church. Unity does not mean uniformity. I don't need to be like you, and you don't need to be like me. Guess who you and I need to be like? Jesus. This is what makes the church the church. This is what makes it dynamic. This is what makes us unbelievable because God has gifted you. He's wired you. He's blessed you. And he said, I, the body is a unit. And then he says this, you are baptized into this. And this is what it means to be baptized. Listen to what Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says. This is why we celebrate baptism. This is why we say, yes, we are living a new life because Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new what? Life. You may live a new way. You may have a new direction. You may have a new purpose. See, when we're baptized, we go, no, God, we are understanding that everything Jesus did on the cross pays the price for all of my sin, he takes it all away. And Jesus, wherever you tell me to go, I'm going to go. And Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. That's what it means to be baptized. That we are 
buried with Christ, and we were raised to walk a new life. We have a new way to go in life. We don't go back. Matter of fact, in the baptistry, that's why you don't see people go out the way they came in. It's just a symbolic gesture that says, Jesus, I'm not going back that way. I'm going your way. I'm going your way. Now, some of you are going, Nate, you're saying it's about a body, not a building. Well, what do you call this? We don't serve this building. This building serves Jesus. Matter of fact, last night, I don't know if any of you got to be here, we had 280 junior high and high school ladies with their dads or father-like figures at our forever chosen night. And they had a moment where dads, I'm glad I'm not there yet so I can prepare my heart a little bit. They had moments where dad would write, the dads had written a letter to their daughter. And the whole theme was this, that dads are to protect their daughters. And the dads read out loud, probably crying, but read out loud to their daughters how much God loves them, how much God is for them, and how much as their dad, they will protect them. I know on Friday we celebrated International Women's Day. Turns out everybody's just like 8,000 years behind God because he's like, women are worth protecting because they are made in the image of God. He celebrated that from day one. See, this building, it serves our mission and our purpose to walk in the ways of Jesus. It's not about the building. It's about you and I being the body. This is what it means to be the body. This is what it looks like. Second thing is this. If you're writing down, you want to write this down. This is the second misconception that we get lost in. Thanks for hanging with me. That was like 1,700 years of history, all right? I was trying. I was cutting stuff as much as I could. I'm like, man, we're going to have to go. We'll be there till 8 o'clock, and it'll just be me. And uh, here's the second big misconception. These will go a little bit quicker. That it's all about the pastor, not the people. I want scripture to back this up. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 because it will tell you what my role is as the pastor and it will tell you what your role is as the people of God because we are the people together. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13. It was he, it said God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And here's what it is. Here's my role as a pastor here at Northside to prepare God's people for works of service. Do you know that God has work for you to do? He's going, I have gifted you, I have called you in your everyday living as you coach, as you teach, as you stay at home and you parent, as you CEO, as you build businesses, as you help develop new endeavors, as you're an entrepreneur. I have a work for you to do that we would prepare God's people for works of service. And then this is it. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know what he was saying is this? That I will never become the church that God intended for me to be without you. I can't grow into maturity without you. We talk about it all the time here. You may not worship Satan, but you may obey him if all you do is live in isolation. Satan's perfectly fine for you to come to this place and never talk to anybody, help anybody. Just live in isolation. He's going good because you think you're really growing, 
but you're not a part of the body. You know what I'm finding is really my chief thing that I can do now as a pastor? I sit down with a lot of you and I hear what God's stirring in your heart. Talked with a lady this week that encouraged one of her coworkers about Christ and all this other stuff. You know what I'm finding the greatest thing I can do anymore right now as a pastor? Is just validate what God's doing already in your life. Go, wow, you're a better dreamer than me. Wow, you love this city. Wow, God has placed monumental dreams on your heart. Can I pray for you? See, God is saying it is about you and I being a people. A couple weeks ago, Dad was preaching for me, and uh, I came in, and I actually just had a chance to sit in church. It was a fantastic time. My wife didn't have to preach, didn't have to worry about anything. And I said, hey, I'll take Lily up to her class. She's my six-year-old daughter. I'm thinking of giving my wife a break, except when I walk up to class, guess what? She didn't want to go to church. Any parent been there? You're like, just get in the room, you know. Help me, Jesus. And uh, no, Daddy, I don't know anybody in there. I don't know anybody. I don't care. You know, I'm like, I'm ready just to like pair. Like, I'll give you five bucks. I like whatever. Just go to your room. One of the volunteers saw. I, I couldn't get my daughter. They're like, good job, Pastor. You know, and I'm like, can't even get. You know, can't get my daughter in the room. And then guess what happened? One of the volunteers went and told the teacher in the room I was trying to get her in. Her name's Sarah Long. She's a high school student in our church family. She walked outside the room. She said, Lily. Lily looked up to her and she said, Miss Sarah! Ran into the room. <laughs> I'll see you later. Not going for old dad. Miss Sarah, though, she'll go in. Here's where the story for me even gets deeper. While she was in there, we have a, a special needs ministry here for families and kids who come to church here. We know that's a growing thing, and we need to be a church that comes around, that are the people of God, that supports and walks with one another. And uh, one of the leaders came up to Lily because she loves, she's a helper, she loves to put things away. And one of the teachers came up to her and said, Lily, would you be a buddy for one of our special needs kiddos in your class? And she said, well, what does that mean? Well, you just need to hang out with them and walk with them and worship with them and do a little Bible study with them. And then they said, and before next week, before you guys hang out, we'll let you guys sit and have a donut together. She's in, right? You know, like donuts. Out. Can I tell you, last, last week she did it for the first time. I have never heard her more excited than to go to church, not because of church, but because of who she gets to serve. Daddy, I get to help so-and-so in the class. We get to sit together. We're going to eat a donut. That's good, right? Talk about Jesus and donuts. That's good. Like, put Jesus back. We get to talk about Jesus. We get to worship together. We get to do this together. And I went, thank God for Kids Side Ministry because you are helping to make my daughter a disciple of Jesus when she doesn't want to listen to Dad. That's the power of the church. That's the power that you have, that God is saying, I want to work through you to change the next generation, to help those families who are in need. And God is at work in you. And so this is the last point. It's this. Here's the big misconception that we miss. We think it's about being good and not being present. 
We think we can just kind of be good, and that's enough. We say stuff like that all the time. Hey, do you go to church? No, but I'm a good person. I'm not saying you're not doing anything wrong. Here's the only problem. When we believe that we're good enough by ourselves, what we're really saying is this. Jesus, what you did on the cross, it isn't any good. Listen what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He's wanting us to wrap our minds around because this is how we become the church. This is how we live in the way of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, as the body of Jesus. Listen what he says to the church in Corinth. They had forgotten about this. They were trying to, they were just trusting in their own good works living and making their own decisions without God. And listen what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He writes to you and I today. He says this. He said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He said, don't you know that your body, he didn't say, don't you know that the church building, don't you know that the house of the Lord, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You didn't achieve it by your good works. It's not that you've earned enough stars in Sunday school class and now, boom, you get the Holy Spirit. He says that you have received from God. Do you understand that? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God with your body. Paul is pointing the church back to the way of Jesus. He said, it's not by your good works. Too many times this is where I get stuck. If I can achieve enough good stuff, then God will love me a little bit more. Then maybe Jesus will love me a little bit more. Maybe there'll be some more blessings that will come into my life. He says, no, 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 no. Don't you you realize you are not your own, that you were bought at a price, that your sin, you had a debt, and it needed to be paid, and you and I can't pay it, and Christ comes, and he takes away the sins by going to the cross, and he says, therefore, now that he took your sin, you can now honor God with your body. God's saying this to you today. It's not how good you can be. He's saying this. Do you realize how good Jesus is towards you? See, this is where the church needs to rediscover its roots. To the one who said, I will build my church. You and I won't build it. He will build it through us. We get to be a part of the most dynamic, timeless, eternal movement of God. See, the church gets to do what no other entity in the world gets to do. The Roman Empire, it fell. Dynasties have fallen. But the church, because of Jesus, It will last forever. And Jesus simply says this to you today. Why don't you join me? Why don't you receive my grace for you? Why why don't you stop trying to earn your way in this life? Just a couple more years and a couple little bit more money, and then we're gonna be right here, then we're gonna be, and then everything's gonna be okay. And then you get to that 
age and you go, just a little bit more money and a few more years and a little bit of this and, a little, and then things will be okay. And he goes, no, 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 no more years. No more money. You and me, right now, let me change your life. Have you received Christ into your life? Today, we want to give you a moment. I'm going to pray for us here in a second. We're going to sing a closing song. We're going to have some volunteers down here in the corner. And I want to invite you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never just said, Jesus, I trust you and what you've done on the cross to take away my sins, to pay for everything. Some of you right now, you are running from God. You have ran from God, man, over your whole life, and you're going, I need to trust him. We want to invite you just to simply during this last song, if God is moving you, if he is calling you simply to join him, to come down to the corners. We've got shirts, we got shorts, we got towels. We'll take pictures for you. We'll text it to your mom, all right? We've got it covered. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church, and I want to build it through you. Will you join me? He's given you that invitation. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray together. We'll sing. And if you need to come, give your life to him. I want to invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, Jesus, you had a greater plan than we could come up with. That, Jesus, for a lot of us, we've, as we reflect on our life, we just thought you wanted us to be good people. God, I know I've been there where I thought your love was dependent on how good I was. And since I'm never good enough, God, I've just tried harder and harder, and that was not the way you were calling me to live. And so, Father, I pray for anybody here today. God, they're striving. They're trying to make it. They're trying to get there. God, whether they're trying to please you or fulfill some dream in their life so then their soul would be at peace, we know this, Jesus. Outside of you, there is no peace in this world. And so, Jesus, today we pray for courage for those to simply step in and begin to follow you. God, I pray for us as a church family, your body, people who are saved and called by you. God, would we come around these people? Would we lift them up? Would we walk with them? Would we encourage them? God, would we not leave them just to a moment of choosing you? But God, would you make us your church, your body, your hands, your feet in this world so that everybody would know you? Jesus, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Father, may you change lives today and this weekend. I want to invite you during this song. If you need to give your life to the Lord, if you need to say, God, I'm trusting you for any and everything. And where you say I need to go, I'm going to go. And what you say I need to do, I'm going to do. Because Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. During this song, I want to invite you to come on down here and receive him. Let's sing together.